7: This is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
5: More about down payment assistance with Mary Townley from Mishta straight ahead. How how complicated is it for the home buyer to uh, apply for this assistance? Is it, uh, you know, uh, I've bought a few homes in my life, and closing day is always... uh, (laughs) A bit of an enigma to me because of the amount of documentation. Is this another layer of paperwork, and, and are there people in the process that can help the uh, the home buyer navigate that?
3: Um, the, the process is identical to pretty much any other transaction that's out there. Um, the extra steps that need to be taken are actually on the shoulders of the lender. So the lender would communicate with us uh, information about that transaction. So the homeowner goes through the same steps. You know, they get either pre-qualified with a lender or they find their home and then they work with the lender. Those steps are identical. Uh, the application process is identical. So it's really not that much of a hurdle. Um, but the uh, Mishta lenders are the ones that are well first. On this program and they can provide the the potential buyer all the details. Uh, The loan is a repayable uh, down payment program and it's only repayable at the end of ownership for that uh, individual. So if they sell the house down the road, then that transaction would be paid back.
5: Do you have to be going through a MISHDA lender to qualify? Yes.
3: So if you go to our website, we have a complete list of lenders by county.
5: Okay, so the real trick is to um, get potential home buyers to look to Mishta for uh, for lending, for assistance, for all of those things right from the beginning of the process.
3: Yes, and, and those individuals, if they go to one of our approved lenders, they can specifically ask you know i'm really interested in that 10,000 DPA in Genesee County you know they can promote that program too but our lenders have done a great job with marketing it to potential buyers that come to them
5: but they but but the buyers have to go to Mishta lenders correct and yeah. and in order go ahead
3: in order to obtain one of our down payment programs, they have to work with one of our Mishta lenders and obtain a MISTA-first mortgage.
5: So if, uh, if someone listening right now is thinking about or knows someone who's thinking about buying a house uh, in the market, um, they should go or advise uh, whoever they know to go to mishda to pick out a lender and very likely that mishda lender would know or recognize if that home buyer qualifies for assistance with the down payment absolutely that's correct and so even if they're you know not real savvy about you know the home buying process uh, a mishda loaner might say hey You can qualify for some assistance with the down payment um, because you're in this particular zip code.
3: That's right. And our lenders do an absolutely wonderful job with helping that potential buyer through the entire process. And also the counselors, uh, they will do the same thing. They're just setting up those buyers to be better homeowners in the future or more successful as a homeowner in the future.
5: Now you said something almost parenthetically about uh, millennials who make yes. up the largest population of home buyers um and and half of them report trouble or, or not being able to come up with a down payment but that that hurdle of a down payment is it, it really crosses all age groups um is this assistance available for anyone or is it specifically first time home buyers or um, millennials in particular
3: so it's it's available to any one individual that meets our sales price and income limits in those two hundred and thirty six zip codes Now you know Mishta has uh, Program uh, DPA offerings for all areas of the state, but the you know the trigger is are they within the income limits and are they buying under two hundred twenty four thousand five hundred? That's our sales price maximum. What we were but, going, but
5: go ahead. You
3: no, know, but again, it's it's available to any one individual ind- individuals that meet
5: those criteria. I'm talking with uh, Mary Townley. She is the um, director of MISHDA's Home Ownership Division. MISHDA, of course, is the Michigan State Housing Development Authority. Um, Mary, we were going to be joined by Elise from Airfoil, and, and I think I clicked her, and please uh, apologize uh, to her uh, for me. But what is their role in this?
3: Um, Airfoil assists us with, you know, public engagements, um, with, uh, marketing and, uh, they partner with our PR firm, which
7: is Parrish.
5: Okay. All right. Well, my apologies to, uh, Elise when you talk to her. Um, uh, no problem. Mary, uh, with, um, with, uh, w- all of my guests, I offer the opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. What's what's the first step? Um, going to maybe the the Mishda website.
3: Uh, that's uh, probably a great start. Uh, go to um, michigan.gov forward slash mishda m s h d a, and then hit the uh, tab that says Home Buyers. And that homebuyers will give them detailed information about our first mortgage programs and our, our down payment programs.
5: Is is there a timeline for this? Uh, it, you know, is it first come first serve? Is, uh, or
3: no? Nope, is it's, it you know it's indefinite? Yep, it's ongoing uh, indefinite. Um, you know, our our goal is to uh, increase home buying in those certain geographic locations to assist, you know, those uh, individuals that in the past have been underserved.
5: How was this program funded? How was it made available? Does this have anything to do with uh, uh, pandemic uh, relief funds?
3: No, it does not. We are funding this with bonds, uh, just like all of our other programs that we offer.
5: Well, it, it sounds like a great program, Mary, and thank you so much for spending time with me this morning to uh, let people know about it and to explain it a little bit.
3: All right, no problem. Thanks, Tom, for having me on. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh,
5: again, that was uh, Mary Townley. She is the um, director of uh, MISTA's Home Ownership Division, the program, is uh, an opportunity for people uh, looking to buy a house that meets certain qualifications and and work through MISHTA lenders to get up to $10,000 in down payment assistance. Um, And that money uh, doesn't have to be repaid until the homeowner uh, pays off the mortgage or sells the home. So anyway, um, with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. Straight up. (music) Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. There's a new book uh, from Nat Geo Kids. The um, It's called Unforgotten, the Wildlife of Diane Fossey and Her Relentless Quest to Save Mountain Gorillas. And it's um, written by uh, author and children's book expert, Anita Silvey, who joins me by phone. Anita, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for devoting this to... Uh to somebody who tried to save mountain gorillas. <laughs> well, <laughs> it you know if 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 she were the only one, <laughs> you know I I I can't help thinking about. And you've written about uh, Jane Goodall. Um, uh-huh. How how do the two compare, in your opinion? Well, Jane Goodall. Diane Fossey,
3: and Barute Galdikos, who, by the way, studies orangutans in Borneo, they are all protégés of Louis Leakey, the anthropologist. And he discovered bones of early man. And what he wanted was he wanted researchers to go out in the field and observe those animals that are closest to us in DNA. Because he thought it might tell us a lot about how early human civilization operated. So chimpanzees have 99% of our DNA, and gorillas 98% of our DNA. And so Jane Goodall was the first. Um, she, by the way, she had no um, scientific training at all. Um, she will go on, by the way. She'll get a PhD um, in Cambridge, but she didn't even go to college. But she was a secretary, and he um, thought her powers of observation were wonderful. And he wanted to send out people who had no, you know, like no theory in their mind. They weren't going to be trying to prove something. They were simply going to be trying to observe what went on. So Jane came first. She went to work on chimpanzees. That was so successful that um, a few years later, when he met Diane Fossey, who, who wanted to research mountain gorillas, Um, he went and found funding for her and um, you know, was able to send her out into Rwanda um, to do that research. Jane, of course, is very much alive today. She's in her 80s. She's still involved in conservation. Um, Jane's the best-known scientist, by the way, in the world today. She, you know, she made a place for herself in the international scientific community. Diane died at her research station, you know, in Rwanda so she was never able really to go on and have that larger platform but both are so similar in their devotion to the animals their persistence their courage their belief in a cause greater than themselves i mean their and and just their strength of character because you know they have to go places where people normally were not going women were not, normally not going jane couldn't even get into tanzania um... Unless she brought a chaperone, I mean that's how restricted you know the travel of women was in those areas. And I often think Jane Goodall's mother is the greatest mother of all times because her mother agreed to go with her and set up camp for her. <laughs> <Indeed>. Wow! <laughs> I mean, I you know I don't know a lot of mothers would be willing to do that, you know. And she knew that that's what her daughter wanted. So, I mean Jane couldn't even go in to set up that camp alone. By the time Diane went out, she was able to go out with her guide Sawwecky and some of the people of the area and set up a camp herself. So they were breaking the same kind of barriers. Um, Neither of them were trained scientists, and both of them are just going to make major breakthroughs. So, um, you know, pretty remarkable women.
5: More about mountain gorilla research and Diane Fossey with author and children's book expert Anita Sylvie straight ahead
0: Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show.
5: More about Mountain Gorilla Research and Diane Fossey with author and children's book expert Anita Silvey straight ahead. Jane Goodall was recruited, um, but how did Diane Fossey, what was her backstory? You said that she um, wanted to study mountain gorillas
3: right well she how did she was she, an occupational oh, how,
5: how did she do it yeah how did she get in, interested in that how did that idea occur to her i think i'll you know study mountain yeah gorillas. i think
3: i'll just go halfway around the world and look at gorillas yeah that's a, it's, it's one um, thing to
5: have someone like, ask you to do that but to just come up <laughs> with the idea especially if you're not already in the science field
3: well, she was an occupational therapist in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. Well, and she took, well sure, that really gets you to Africa, and she took all of her life savings and she took out a loan and she went on a seven week safari. And she saw all these animals that she loved. She'd always loved animals. And, and the last, the, her last trip, they went up into the mountains right around Rwanda and she saw mountain gorillas for the first time. And the only thing I can liken it to is, you know, it's like the story of, you know, you're in a hall and your eyes catch somebody else across the hall and you know they're the one. You know, it's just like love at first sight. Well, that's what it really was. It was love at first sight, only her love was a gorilla. You know, she just became obsessed with these gorillas. And she went back to Louisville and started to write about them. She did newspaper articles, just local things and, you know, um, but writing about them, about her trip, and then a small miracle happened. Louis Lakey came to give a lecture in Louisville, Kentucky. Now, he's going to lecture about Jane Goodall. I mean, he's already sent one person into, you know, um, into a camp to do that kind of research. And so she brought her newspaper articles. She came up to him. She started to talk to him. She basically said, I, I want to research, you know, mountain gorillas. And he didn't say, go away. He said, let's have breakfast you know he invited her to breakfast the next morning they had a long talk she was just she was much like james she was the kind of researcher he liked she didn't have any perceived idea of what she was going to find but she was gutsy and courageous and bold and he thought she'll do and he raised the money to send her so it's a sheer miracle you know it happens in louisville kentucky um... and it <laughs> happens as a chance encounter to a lecture um, and so, within six months, National Geographic has given the money so that Diane Fossey can go halfway around the world and start the trek up to, um, you know, research mountain gorillas.
5: Well, it it makes a little a little bit more sense as you explain, you know, the fact that she was eh, studying human behavior. I mean, she she already had that that sensibility, and and then the uh, the. Uh, excuse me the opportunity presenting itself it makes it a little bit less of a mystery of how she you know took up the notion to go study mountain gorillas but um but yet there's another mystery about her and that surrounds her death
3: yes um she was murdered in her cabin in um you know when she was 53 years old she'd been there for about 18 years here, um, here in the states? They, no, no, in in the, her cabin in, in Rwanda or okay. her Karasoki, at her research center.
5: Gotcha.
3: And she had she had just gone back. She'd been in the states, by the way. She'd been teaching at Cornell, and she you know had a really successful time there. And most of her friends, and even her friends in Rwanda, wanted her to stay in the states because by this point in time, she had created enough problems with the government that many people were afraid. That she might be killed. They told her that, in fact. I mean, she was told that, um, that it wasn't really a safe place for her anymore. And, but she decided she wanted to come back. She wanted to be with the gorillas. So she came back. She got a permit to stay for two years. And obviously, that seems to have set somebody over the edge. And they just didn't want her around. Um, it's believed that she opened the door to whoever came. So it may be somebody that she knew. Um, but they have never, you know, they didn't take DNA evidence, and they contaminated the scene of the crime. We still don't really know. We have no idea, really, who who killed her. Um, the only, you know, bright side of this, the only good side of this, was that by that point, she had trained enough doctoral students and master's students. You know, she had trained a ton of people, many who stayed in Rwanda. And you know, were determined at her death to carry on the work that she so believed in, and the Diane Fossey Fund, which is so important in you know research, had already been set up. Um, Sir David Attenborough had done a a, a thing, a infant, you know, a Life on Earth chapter. He had come to, and to her, and you know, we have you know the footage of his rolling around with a family of gorillas. She'd introduce him to gorillas, and he put a lot of money behind some of the gorilla conservation. So she had done enough that her work would be carried forward, and I think that's, you know, very important. Um, when she went there, there were 275 mountain gorillas in that area, and today there are over 600, and every year they are increasing. The You know, the numbers are increasing in size. So, um, some of, many of the things that she put into place really were very successful. It's just she was not there to see them. Her life is much more tragic. When you ask me what's the difference between Jane Goodall's life and Diane Fossey's, Diane Fossey's life is much more tragic. You know, um, Jane Goodall's life is just one really of one triumph after another.
5: And, and that, that begs a couple of questions. One, um, what makes you think, well why why target a book like this to a middle school audience?
3: Well I I needed to tell them the truth and I needed not to be sensational about it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you know, I believe yeah. I believe children and middle school students and high you know high school students can take the truth as long as you don't sensationalize it. So um I you know, and and I could not change the story, you know. So I if I'm gonna give the story of her life, then some of that has to be there. I it is only a very small portion of the book, by the way. I mean we, we we talked about it at length, but in the book it is not a huge portion of the book. Most of the book is made up with what she found out about gorillas. You know, um, pictures of gorillas, a day in the life of a gorilla. Most of it is about kind of the joys of research and being with animals and what you learn there. So that's really where I focus the book, but I just have to. You know, at some point I had to, they had to be able to understand why she might have been murdered. I had to have enough there that it would not be a surprise. You know, you don't want the ending, that kind of ending to be a surprise. I think, in the end, the book is very optimistic because the last chapter ends on all of the work that she started that is carried on today and how effective it is
5: well I was so trying I, to, really, I was trying to imagine anita the the um you know the 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 role modeling for young people who might consider going into research, especially uh, uh exotic animals like this um you know, with with a, a character or an inspiration that that decides to do this incredible thing and does some incredible things, and then gets murdered. Um, it, well, it it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like well, the the kind of story that inspires people. I'm going to go study mountain gorillas in Rwanda.
3: Well, well, think about think about we write about our military heroes. You sure. know, and they do extraordinary things, and some of them die in battle. You know, I mean, that's not all of them, you know, but certainly, and that, that, that I mean, anyone who would do this kind of research, um, they are taking extraordinary risks, you know. I mean, now there's I've, no question. I, now, you know? I,
5: I kind of oversimplified that um, to, to lead up to... What lessons can young readers take out of the Diane Fossey story?
3: Well, I think at its heart, the Diane, Diane story is about somebody who a little later in life, not when she was 16, not when she was 18, but a little later in life, found something that she really loved and that she could really enjoy and revel in in all those 18 years that she worked there and because she loved it because she cared about it so much she was able to preserve a species and make a change that she wanted to make you know that, that and that you know if any you know anytime you take up dangerous you know if i if i don't want to be in danger i stay in my office do you know i mean i don't even go walking out on the street so anytime that you take up things that could be dangerous um, this this story could have been different. I mean, Jane Goodall, you know, risked her life time and time again when she was researching in Tanzania. It just she didn't, you know, she didn't end up falling off a cliff. She didn't end up, you know, some of those things happening. But that all of those, you know, all of those kind of animal researchers really do take or adventurers really do take extraordinary risks. So I think it's more that you can find something that you love, you can do it, and that you can make a difference in the world. And I think that is the story that her story tells.
5: And this is um, interesting because it's, uh, I, I think, the third in a trilogy that you're writing about uh Uh, Women that included uh, Diane Fossey, of course, who were talking about the book Unforgotten, the Wildlife of uh, Diane Fossey and Her Relentless Quest to Save Mountain Gorillas, Um, but also your book uh, uh, The Wildlife of Jane Goodall and um, The Wildlife of Barut Mary uh, Galdicus, is that how you pronounce it?
3: Galdacos, yes.
5: Oh, Galdacos, okay, thank you. Um, And and I guess the the question for me, Anita, is um, there are a lot of great books being written about women right now, women in the White House and women in the Bible. These are just some where the the authors have been guests on my show. Um, What attracted you to this particular trio? Well, I
3: was asked by... National Geographic approached me when it was close to Jane Goodall's 80th birthday. And they had noted that um, there was no modern biography of her. You know, everybody just talked about her research with chimpanzees, but Jane Goodall has been, you know, an active conservationist and travels around the world and has fought for all animal rights. I mean, she's been an extraordinary advocate. And they wanted something that really brought in her whole life. I was attracted to it. I, by the way, I worked at the publishing company, Houghton Mifflin, that published the first books of both um, Diane Fossey and Jane Goodall. So in the course of my work as a publisher, you know, I, I thought I knew something about this group of women who'd gone out <laughs> to do research. Of course, that's always, that's the trap of, uh, about, you know, you can laugh at that. I, w- I laugh at it now.
5: Of yeah, course, and of and rhetoric, and forgive me, Anita, for laughing, but, I, you know, I, it, those always, that sounds like uh, famous last words, I thought I knew something. Oh,
3: I thought I knew something, exactly. I mean, that, you know, and of course what you find out is that, um you you really don't know anything and you're going to have to do you know uh, you're going to have to do a couple years of research and i always say that the uh, the trick of writing for children is then you've got to go back to the stage you were in when you really didn't know anything, because the only way you can effectively write for children is to write for somebody who doesn't know anything, you know. So you've got to do the research, and then you've got to kind of wipe it out of your mind and go back to create a, a kind of original story. But, yeah, I thought I knew something, and um, but, you know, it's it's led me to about eight years of research about animal research and incredible women um women scientists who who made a great deal of difference in, in the world and you know i think that you know i mean i would say to you i i have great faith in children and and in their reading and i think they can read all kinds of stories you know as long as everything is presented in a really really careful respectful way i think they have the capacity to um you know to understand that not all lives go you know well at all points in time and but the important thing is to me these books encourage young people to think about who love animals to think about well maybe there are other things that i can do you know with animals like if usually with kids if they if they love animals they want to go be a vet And, but, you know, vets deal with sick animals, and there are all other kinds of things, whether it's taking censuses or studying things in your backyard or doing other kinds of things that kids could then say, okay, well, I can't, I don't see myself going off into the mountains of Africa to doing research. I, by the way, would never go off to the mountains of Africa myself. Um, But saying, okay, but maybe there's something there, something in my path that I can do with animals. I once wrote a book called Everything I Need to Know I Learned from a Children's Book. (laughs) And I interviewed celebrities about the children's books that had changed their lives. And a third of them had chosen their careers based on a children's book they'd read. It was what got them started thinking about the path. So I always think that what these books do is they make children realize that other things are possible. You know, I mean, you know. There's a series of those books,
5: isn't there, Anita?
3: No, well, there there was a a book that started it all, and then everybody took up the title of everything. You know, everything I wanted to know I think I learned in kindergarten was the start of it. So, but this was one that really focused on children's books. You know, but I mean, I went to a small farm school in Indiana, and I didn't didn't know that there were a lot of paths open. But the more I read, the more I realized there'd be more things I could do in the world. You know what I mean, so I always think of you know some of the, some of what books like the ones I write do is they give other possibilities they give other ways to think about the world. Um, one of my friend's daughters had just read the Jane Goodall book, and she took her uh, she took a notebook out in the backyard. And she followed squirrels around all day. You know, she made squirrel noises yeah. and she did what Jane Goodall did. She, you know, acted like squirrels and made notes. And because squirrels were in her backyard and, you know, the chimpanzees were not. So she was really trying out the role of a nature observer. So if anything, I hope that a few, this in, inspires a few young readers to think, yeah, I want to, I want to have something to do with the conservation of animals and maybe I'll take a path that will help me do that. That's really, a lot of the thinking behind writing books
5: like this. I, I remembered the series. It was uh, everything I learned about blank. I learned from reading yes. little, little red books.
3: Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And, and it was no, the everybody... same kind
5: of thing. But but going back to your comment, I thought I knew um, when you started researching for this book, especially this one about uh, that we're talking about about Diane Fossey. Uh, for uh, Nat Geogra- uh, National Geographic Kids um, oh I also want to mention parenthetically that there's a foreword by Ellen DeGeneres which I thought was kind of interesting um, and I wanted to make sure and mention that but um, when you go back to saying I thought I knew um, when you started digging in what without bumping into any spoiler alerts what were some of the surprises for you?
3: Some of the surprises for me with Diane, well, one of them was that she loved fancy jewelry and high culture clothes, so, you know, Paris clothes. And when she went out of, when she left her camp, she would dress up in these kind of a gorgeous outfits, and, you know, that she'd go to dinner parties. I mean, I think if you'd love clothes like that, you might not go into the wilderness. But. Not true, um, she kept a menagerie of animals around her. She had a dog, she had a blue monkey, she had chickens, she had birds um, she 'd go from observing gorillas to having an entire almost an entire zoo in her camp so she could be with animals at all times so um, I was. It was really. And the antelope would from the would come in from the bush, and they would play with the. You know, they play with the dog and the monkey, and you know, it really was sort of like a romper room for all kinds of animals. So she was very unpredictable, and you know, very much did things her own way. Um, I was surprised at how often she was sick. She had pneumonia. She had broken bones. She had have her appendix out. She had trouble with her teeth. I mean, she. You know, it's not that easy living on spam and hot dogs, you know, for long periods of time if you're, you know, camping out and you know, places where it's hard to get food. So it really took a physical toll on her, but that never stopped her. She just kept going.
5: This is a fascinating um, story, and I, I, w- I wish we had more time, but we're getting close to the end. And I want to make sure to ask, what's next for you?
3: Well, I'm a have gone a complete change of well, I've gone 180 on I'm now researching American mother goose nursery rhymes. You know, there's a whole there's a whole tradition of nursery rhymes in the United States of America that have sure. nothing to do with England. And I'm working with an illustrator. We want to do a whole big we want we want to move across the country and get some of the great nursery rhymes that um come out of people's experience and and you know, Um, come out of our cities and, you know, come out of our, um, you know, government in the United States and kind of a tribute to Americana for the youngest of kids. So that sort of gets, that, that takes me in a whole different direction, which is part of what you can do as a writer. You can just go different ways.
5: Well, the name of the book is Unforgotten, the Wildlife of Diane Fossey and Her Relentless Quest to Save Mountain Gorillas written by uh, my my guest, Anita Sylvie, and uh, has a foreword by Ellen DeGeneres. Anita, I always, uh, before we wrap up, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about, about the book, about you, about your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website?
3: I do. It is AnitaSylvie, S-I-L-V-E-Y, dot com.
5: Well, that's easy.
3: Yeah, it's not difficult. I'm also at an a Anita Sylvie on Twitter. If anyone wants to send me a note
5: there, you didn't. You didn't have to go with Anita Sylvie 23 or anything like that.
3: <laughs> no, no, I got in early enough. I got in early enough that I, uh, you know, I, 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 I teach college students, and I ended up on all these platforms. Much earlier than most people I know just because my uh, my students would send me, you know, invitations. And I didn't want to let them down. So I set up platforms that I didn't use. But I ended up, therefore, having early platforms. So that was great, um, you know, as it turns out.
5: Well, Anita, this has been a really fun conversation. Thanks so much for spending this time with me.
3: Oh, thank you so much for giving the book the time.
5: And, and uh, keep up the good work. Okay, thank you. Take Bye-bye. Care. Bye-bye. Again, that was uh, Anita Sylvie. She uh, is the author of a book uh, from National Geographic Kids called Unforgotten, The Wildlife of Diane Fossey, and Her Relentless Quest to Save Mountain Gorillas. Um, She's a uh, children's book expert and uh, does some teaching, as she just mentioned, uh, in addition to her writing and uh, research. and with that we'll have uh, more of the Tom Sumner program. Stay Straight-
2: aside.
0: <music> Let's sing along. Is I may know
5: This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
0: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
1: Okay, okay. The story is about a minister. His name is Reverend Leroy.
2: LAUGHTER <laughs>
1: Leroy was pastor of the church of the What's Happening Now. (laughs) I mean, Leroy wasn't the type of guy who'd tell you what happened a long time ago, or what's gonna happen in the future. When you go to Leroy's place, he would tell you what's happening now. (laughs) Uh, The members, (laughs) the members of the congregation dug Reverend, Leroy so much that they got together and chipped in, all of them chipped in, And they built Rev. a new tabernacle. Well, it was really a storefront, but they renovated it. Changed the name from Barbecue Place to Tabernacle. (laughs) Put a big sign on the front. Church of the What's Happening Now, pastored by Reverend Leroy. (laughs) it was the first day of the service day of the first service at the new tabernacle. It's early Sunday morning. (laughs) Down the road, on a path, leading through the zoo, comes Reverend Leroy. Now, this Sunday morning, the rain is falling down. Brothers and sisters, the rain was falling down, and the wind was blowing. Into the pouring down wind and the rain came Reverend Leroy. As he walked through the zoo, standing there in the cage behind the bars, looking out between the bars, it's a gorilla. Now, you're laughing. You're laughing. Now, I realized that gorilla, but on the cage, on the front of the cage where it has the name of the animal, it said go Rilla. G-O, it said beware of the G-O, Rilla. Let's go, Rilla. Beware means watch out. Watch out. between the bars, Rev thinks that the gorilla is a man in jail who's had his civil rights violated. <laughs> Rev stops in front of the cage. He says, uh, said, brother, said, brother, why? Why have they got you behind those bars? Said, brother, whatever they said you did, you didn't do it. Then <laughs> you didn't do it. He said, because I know an innocent face when I see one. <laughs> that you didn't do it, brother. He said, I know. He said, look, just look at the hair hanging down in your nasty face. <laughs> he said, brother, they won't even let you wash your nasty face. He said, look, he said, they've even got you drinking out of a trough. He said, brother, a man has to stoop pretty low to drink from a trough. Said, we're going to do something about this Said, we're going to get the members Said, I'm going right down to the tabernacle And I'm going to get the members to get together Said, and we're going to send a petition to Washington Said, we're going to do something Said, brother Said, all I got is one dollar A raincoat and a pack of chewing gum Said, but you can have that Said, I'm going to give that to you He walked over Dropped the raincoat And extended his hand Which the gorilla clasped gently Rev said, uh, brother, I'm gonna see you in a little while. And he went to pull back and he felt the gorilla tighten up. (laughs) The pain shot up his arm, (laughs) down his back. Rev said, uh, brother, I told you that I would see you in a little while. Then Rev heard his spine snap. I would see you in a little while and the gorilla snatched him inside the cage he the bar let's <laughs> no. do that small opening in the bar broke both shoulder blades getting him in there and he cupped revved head in one paw and he rained blows upon him with a 75 pound mass of hair covered nut. <laughs> the breeder said brother Say, wait a minute! they hold it. And the gorilla snatched him by the neck. The gorilla had a handful of the man's neck. <laughs> a handful of neck doesn't leave too much neck. Has anybody ever had a handful of your neck? The gorilla took him by the neck and he beat him off both sides of the cage. Then he slammed him around and slammed him down and jumped up and down and picked him up and flung him out between the bars. ref got up. <laughs> brushed off his clothes. He walked over to the cage. He said, Brother... Said, I'm talking to you!
2: <laughs>
1: said, I'm talking to you! And the gorilla glanced back over his shoulder. The ref said, You know? That You're not a man. Did you act like a gorilla. <laughs> That's the way you act. He said, whatever they said you did, you did it. <laughs> yes, you did it, and some more besides. He <laughs> said, I'm going to get the members to send a petition to Washington, all right, to see that you get the electric chair. did <laughs> said, oh, yes. <laughs> ask for that hair hanging down in your nest I hope they keep you in that so long it'll cover your shaggy car.
2: <laughs> this was another
0: comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
4: we